Chapter 3 Getting Acquainted The date is May 16th, 2012. The day following the police raid and after what I would call a shocking pretrial verdict. Here I was, riding in a police transport van, heading to pretrial detention to essentially wait for the prosecutor's office to gather more information to present charges against me. Terms like flight risk and risk of collusion are echoing through my head as we head towards a facility that will be taking my liberty and freedom away for something I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Reality sets in even more when, after arriving at the detention facility, you are asked to pull your pants down so they can search you to make sure that you aren't hiding anything. It was tough. It took every ounce of my patience to remain calm during that part of the process. I had to keep telling myself that the officers asking everyone to turn in their personal belongings weren't the ones that sent us there, yet they were part of a system that was attempting to suffocate me by taking away my liberty. In an attempt to find something positive to hold on to, I was grateful that I was allowed to keep the clothes that I was wearing, which was a bit surprising for me. Remember that piece of paper that I tore and wrote names and phone numbers on during the raid? I was permitted to keep it. Perhaps it was because the detention officers felt confident that any attempt to communicate through the phone lines would be documented accordingly. Regardless, being permitted to keep that paper put me at ease at that moment. I was issued a prison identification card, some linen, personal hygiene items, a change of clothes, and escorted to another section of the prison. We were escorted down a hallway into another room where we were issued a small foam mattress. One of the guys issuing the mattresses saw my name. I don't recall exactly how. He said, Boating, like the football player. I said, yes. He asked if we were related. I said, no. That became a common question for the first couple of days. We were escorted to our cells. By coincidence, I ended up being paired with the guy that initiated the conversation in the police transport bus the day prior. You remember him? It kind of felt good knowing that at least I could partially communicate in English with someone I was sharing a cell with. At this point, I was simply looking for someone who could help me to better understand this arrest warrant that I had with me. After entering the cell, everything was so overwhelming that I believe it was the first time during the process that I shed a tear. All that had happened so far hit me like a ton of bricks when I put my stuff down and sat on the bottom of the bunk bed feeling like I had somehow come to the end of the line. My new cellmate had already called the top bunk and made his way up, which I didn't even react to because my mind was totally occupied with the moment of watching a big metal door with no windows close in front of me and the sound of keys turning to lock the door. Damn. This cannot be real. My cellmate also seemed to be extremely irritated. The first couple of minutes were almost silent. What's next, I thought. How do I navigate through this? 
I could hear the sound of keys jingling in the distant background. The cell door seemed to be heavy. I started to be a bit more observant. There was a table and two chairs in the cell. There appeared to be some sort of intercom system on the right-hand side of the cell door. Interesting. I knew it was a two-way intercom system because my cellmate came down from the top of the bunk bed, pressed on the button, and had a brief conversation with whomever was controlling the system, and went back to the top of the bunk bed. On the opposite side of the room, there was a high-barred window to the outside. It allowed some daylight in the room. In order to look through the window, you would have to have stood on one of the chairs. Where's the toilet? I thought. To my surprise, the toilet, along with the sink with the push-button faucet, was in its own little room on the left side of the bunk beds with a door and a ventilator that activated when you turned on the light. I was not expecting that. It was much more humane than I had imagined, and the room didn't feel claustrophobic. After gathering my bearings, my cellmate and I broke silence again when he came down from the top of the bunk bed to sit at the table. While I was pondering my situation, he had made his bed and gotten comfortable. He asked how I was doing. I said not great. I did appreciate the fact that he was open to speaking English with me. I asked him if he was okay to read my arrest warrant to help me better understand what was going on. He agreed and as he was reading the document, I asked, so what is it saying so far? He said, the German state said you stole tax money. He smiled and asked me, so how much did you steal? I said I didn't steal anything with an elevated voice. I was so anxious to understand more of what was written. I must say that I appreciated this guy's patience for trying to help me understand. After a while, I think he eventually grew impatient with me because of my questions and handed me back the arrest warrant and said for me to speak with the lawyer. I realized that I was being a bit selfish in that moment, so I thanked him for his efforts and asked what he had been put in pretrial detention for. He shared with me, and for the sake of privacy, I will refrain from mentioning anything about other people's cases. As we were conversing, the sound of keys jiggling got loud and the cell door swung open. There was a prison warden and two other people who came to deliver the hot meal for the day. I honestly don't even remember what it was. I do remember being handed a stack of bread which I learned later was made by inmates that worked at a bakery, although I never really took the time to verify that information. Regardless, the bread was hard. I guess it's better than nothing. The passing of time was made a little easier with the conversation my cellmate and I were having. I think the topics were all over the place and always leading back to me commenting about my case and my cellmate about his case. I think we both needed that release. At some point, the lights went out. It was an emotionally exhausting day. I needed to sleep this off. I realized that I hadn't made my bed yet. I felt heavy, but managed to situate myself to lay down for the night. 
That was the end of that day. And as you can imagine, my night was just as unpleasant as the previous night. Need I say more? The next day, it was extremely difficult to get out of bed, but I knew that I had to keep pushing through. The last thing I wanted was to drown in my misery. I was going to have to adapt and get acquainted with the current environment that I was in. I started to think of which of my core values, strengths, and skill sets I could start leaning on. My training in the military and time spent under stressful environments in Iraq and Afghanistan had to count for something. How could I leverage some of those skill sets? Okay, let's start to work on that. Between the interactions I had with the prison warden and my cellmate the day prior, it was brought to my attention that the German justice system had social workers, as they called them. Now, these social workers were supposed to be able to help with various services, including connecting with legal counsel outside of the court-appointed lawyers. Considering what had happened the day prior, I was not very confident that the courts had my best interest in mind, so I wasn't too excited about retaining a court-appointed legal counsel. I had a chance to speak with the social worker in the early part of the morning. The conversation was helpful. I learned about what I could and could not do. I learned that there were basically no ways of direct communication with the outside world and that everything at the beginning of the process would need to be communicated through the social worker until legal counsel was identified. It was also mentioned that things could change if my privileges were adjusted based on the decisions of the courts. At that moment, the social worker was my only gateway to seek support. I utilized the time to request a representative from the U.S. consulate to pay me a visit as soon as possible to help me understand what rights I had in my current situation. More details of that will follow later. Now regarding my legal counsel, apparently there were a group of lawyers that had frequently worked on criminal cases for people being held in pretrial detention. I spoke to a handful and settled on one. I did my best to explain what I understood about the events that had transpired. The lawyer agreed to meet with me the following day. It felt like I had accomplished a lot during 30-minute window I had with the social worker. That felt good. The time with the social worker was up. I learned that I could get access to books from the prison library. That would certainly help with filling in the time and taking my mind off things. When I was being escorted back to my cell, the feeling of being trapped started to come back again. I knew that getting through the rest of the day was going to be a challenge. Being accused of committing a crime and having your liberty taken away and not really having a real chance of defending yourself felt kind of like my liberty was being taken for granted and that the process was more of a routine. Maybe that's the point. Maybe that's a way for the court system to apply mental pressure. Let's see what this lawyer has to say about it tomorrow. In the meantime, let's continue to get acquainted in our new environment.